Hey everybody, this is Adam Sharp, Dr. Host of Film Wax Radio, or just Film Wax, depends who you talk to. My voice is especially, especially uh, baritone today. I, I had a little cough or something. So put up with that. If, you're, if your phone is vibrating as it plays or your laptop, I apologize. But uh, this is episode I happen to know this week. It's 750. It's a nice kind of a round number. Three quarters of my first thousand episodes, right? Are now under my or will be under, and I'm joined again since uh, Filmwax is partnering with Radio Free Rhinecliff, part of the network of shows on Radio Free Rhinecliff. Uh, I'm joined again by producer Maddie Rosenberg and associate producer Jen Hamoud. Uh, again, this is fun. I like doing intros like this. It's very different. Yeah, a little live me. activity. It's a, probably yeah. a big difference from the podcast bubble. Yeah. It totally, totally is. And this is a really cool show, and there's a little bit of a story to it. This was this particular part of the show was pre-recorded, or this episode after this part. It was pre-recorded because uh, last fall at the Woodstock Film Festival, I had this opportunity to talk to iconic actor Judd Hirsch, who, you know, most people know from his years. Taxi. Taxi yeah. as, as okay. Alex... Uh, Rieger? Rieger. Wow. Good, oh. good, good pull. I was never going to get that. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, yeah. And then he was in um, lots of great movies like Ordinary People and uh, what was that Sidney Lumet one where he's on the, he and uh, Christine Lati are on the run. They, they have to le- le- live underground. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was a famous book about these two radicals from yeah. the past. And they, you know, it takes place like in quote unquote current day. It's a really good movie, like uh, On the Run or something. That's not the name of it. I'm, I sh- I, but anyway, Judd is also, besides the little independent film that he came on and that was showing at the Woodstock Film Festival last year, but he's also in Steven Spielberg's Fate, The Fablemans. Yes. I know, wasn't he nominated for an Oscar or something? I think so. Right? It would be supporting act, best supporting actor. Yeah, I thought so. I, that's a, uh, is, is that his first nomination for an Oscar? No. I, I can't believe it is, actually. I don't think it is. But we'll we'll ask you. No, it's too late. <laughs> um, we'll ask. But I was very geeked. We we you know he uh, was really uh, present, and he's in this film that's opening today as we record, uh, which is Friday, uh, February tenth. Uh, it's called I Mordecai, a small I Mordecai. It's about this old geezer kind of old guy, a Jewish guy who. You know, um, needs to, his wife is suffering the early stages of Alzheimer's or whatever, and he needs to have a phone finally and get on a smartphone. And it's kind of a, an odd idea, but it's the, kind of the premise of it that he, he meets these young people who kind of get him all, uh, so uh, he's a total Luddite in the beginning. Yeah. Then- yeah. Yeah. Essentially, I think he has like a flip phone or something, you know. Anyway, uh, Judd Hirsch. Was it's been great. I've been wanting him on for many years, so to finally get him on was great. And then this, there's another segment after that with a documentary filmmaker named 
Colin Askey. He's a, a Canadian fella. <laughs> and he made a documentary called Love in the Time of Fentanyl. Good times. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it's about how Vancouver, the city of Vancouver, is like the, um, you know, the hot, the, the, the hot spot. It's like the um, sort of uh, where there is, an, an, you know, an, a ground zero for uh, wow. the fentanyl um, issue. And uh, so it's a big deal. And um, the, the film follows this group of people who work in this or, uh, uh, organization that is a safe place for people to shoot up. I mean, it's it's a radical thing, but this is catching on because it's a very, you know, people are doing it anyway. And nobody ever, nobody's died in one of these places. So uh, I thought it would be a, a nice idea to, to do a segment on that. So following Judd Hirsch, <laughs> it takes a kind of a, a ninety degree That's turn. Incredibly timely. I mean, yeah. it was mentioned in the State of the Union just two days ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's in well, you know, for other reasons, right? In terms of uh, uh, those liar, yeah. liar. It's <laughs> your fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Do you think he set up the uh, the 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 MAGA Republicans? Do you think Biden has, like kind of did that on purpose in order for them to? Uh, I actually do think he um, that's very clever. much planned it, and yeah. it was clever. But also, it's kind of like taking candy from a baby. A sort of true, yeah. Well, it, uh, yeah. So it was. So it's pretty good. Pretty. It was a great moment there. Um, and those are the two segments. So you know, and then uh, we're going to bring in uh, for next week. Uh, finally, Mayura Blaustein, who who is the founder of the Woodstock Film Festival, she'll, she'll be on episode seven fifty one. Out of here, the uh, the 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 home studios of Radio Free Rhinecliff. We're excited to have it again. Yeah, uh, let me ask you guys: Are you guys catching up? We were we talked about the Oscars a little bit uh, with in terms of Judge Hirsch. And the, are you guys at all plugged into it? Are you catching up? Do you have time to see any of these movies? I'm not up to date, unfortunately. Yeah. You should run down the list so I should know what I haven't seen. I did see The or, Whale, though. Oh, The Whale. It's, That's, it's right. definitely worth seeing in yeah, the theater. Oh, you saw it, right? I saw, you know, it's funny. I saw that. It's the only film I saw at this very small festival in um, Columbia. It's called the, it's the Columbia County Film. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just... Uh, move on because I'm not going to remember, but it's it's a small film festival in Columbia County, mm-hmm. and uh, it was terrific. What did you think? I thought I thought it was Aronofsky's most intimate film, like as opposed to just like over the top, you know, huge drama, you know, it, I mean, lack of subtlety, etc. So it it takes place, you know, and in, in, it feels like a play. It does feel like a play, right? So it feels yes. like this play, and you're kind of in the same room pretty much the whole time and it's right. raining and it's just it's so dramatic it's shot so beautifully and i and the pacing is like a play it was inc- it was just yeah. really worth it's definitely worth seeing i really yeah. i mean i liked it it was so sad but i really really highly recommend it i do too i think uh, brenda fraser was terrific in it and yes. um yeah everybody in that film was great and it did not woman the young woman who's from stranger things was incredible oh right the daughter his yes. daughter yeah. yeah uh well it it's not up for best picture, but I think Brenda Fraser is up for best actor. Okay. And, uh, uh, but, uh, well, there's, you know, I mentioned The Fablemans, which yeah. is this new Spielberg film, uh, Biogram. There's that. And, um, there's, uh, I think that's it, actually. No, there's, <laughs> I, 
No, we saw, actually, last night we went to Sarah Polly, speaking of Canadian filmmakers. She's a wonderful filmmaker, a former actress. Okay. And she was even a child actress, and, and she's made a couple of really amazing films in the past. This is her latest, and it's called Women Talking. Oh, I really wanted to see that. What did you think? Yeah, we liked it a lot. And I say, I refer to we, me and my girlfriend went to see it, and we really, uh, really found it to be um, a, a provocative and, and, you know, memorable film. I mean, you know, Frances McDormand, how could it be bad? But she's not in very much. Really? She, she's almost, yeah, she has a very minor, actually, role in it. The, huh. the, the crux of the film, she's not even in it. Hmm. So, um, but she is good when she's in it. She's got the great, one of the great sour pusses, I'll tell you. She looks pretty sour in this film but it's got a great cast including uh rooney mara mm-hmm. uh chloe foy uh claire foy excuse me uh chloe foy is an ass singer uh and uh who else is in it there's a few other actresses uh quite a few it's a great cast and it's a yeah but it's dark i won't lie it's dark there are light moments but it's a dark uh story and um I, there's there's uh we also uh saw i mean almost everything uh i don't know this year i just feel like i'm on a what, what to, else is there? Oh, well, there's Tar, of course, with Kate Blanchett, where she plays this, con, like, out of her mind conductor. Oh. Uh, she's she's amazing in it. It's kind of mixed bag. I mean, a mixed, re, you know, um, response. Okay. Although I think it's a tremendous film. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and then there's, like, the uh, Banshees in a Sharon. I, That's on Netflix, so there's no... Oh, it you know, is now? You can see, and Elvis is on... Ooh. Oh, you're looking at the list? Mm. Now we are. Now okay. we are. <laughs> Elvis, Elvis is on, on uh, HBO Max, Elvis, which, okay. you know, is... Um, it's a myth, you know, making its um, version of That's the life of Elvis. That's not going to win. It's not going to win. I, I, I don't see that happening. What's your prediction right now? What's going to win Best Picture? Oh, well, I haven't seen Avatar. Have a prediction. Oh, okay. I, we're going to try to see Avatar this weekend, Way of Water. The, but um, and let's see. That's For Best Picture, what's going to win? Well, uh, oh, wait, we forgot to talk about everything everywhere all at once. You, you I, think that's going to win? I saw that. Oh, I, yeah, me too. I think that's going to win over the Fable. All right. Well, I agree. I think you're probably right in this case. I think that's the. I think that is the favorite out there. It's getting the most buzz. You know, it's unusual. It is. Yeah. It took me a while to hook in. I was a little yeah. off. It has such a, an, a unique rhythm to it. And uh, story. I mean, just in general, it's really like, what am I looking at? Here? Yes, yes. T- takes a while. Um, what else was is there? I know that. Well, all of course, all quiet on the Western Front. All quiet on the, which is a German language film. It's also it's on Netflix. I have not seen it yet, but I'm I'm going to probably try to squeeze that in pretty soon. It's the only one that I have. And then Top Gun Maverick two, as well. I mean, I'm going to predict that won't win. <laughs> well, you, you never sure? know. How much money but, you want to put on it? I will bet you a bottle of bourbon that's in the other corner there. Um, yeah, it's it's probably not um, likely, but you never know. You never know. There's been upsets in the past. So true. Triangle yeah. of Sadness. What's that, that one? We saw that What's too. Ruben Ostlin, who's a Swedish filmmaker, uh, he's he made Force Majeure, or Force Majeure, if you want to mispronounce it, a few years ago. That was a great, oh, you need to see that. And this one, Triangle Sand, is fantastic. It is a dark, dark comedy, oh. but it is so much fun. So I, I think that might be, it might be my favorite. Oh, that's how good, I, how much I liked it. Okay. And uh, but I'm a big fan of this filmmaker. I've seen like five of his films, and this is even though he's a you know Scandinavian filmmaker, this is an, an English language film. 
and it's about this sort of this couple, although it broadens the cast kind of storyline, they almost get lost in it if there's a flaw in it. It might be like how the first part of the movie, you're following this couple, they're a young couple, very hot. They're, they're models and they're influencers. And because they're influencers, they get this free cruise on this big yacht. And it's this, the, the, the yacht, you, you see, you meet all these people that are on this, you know, cruise. And, and then the ship, um, hits a uh, storm. Huh. And it's when it sues. And, uh, in a kind of a stunt casting, they call it, Woody Harrelson plays the, uh, captain of the, of the ship. Oh, he's phenomenal. And he's so funny in this movie. Yeah. He's really good in it. It's, it's, it's a risky film because it, it, it's the tone of it. It could lose people, but I, we, I just think it was so entertaining. I, I, I would look forward to seeing it again at some point. Okay. But this is a great filmmaker, Ruben Ostland. He made Force Majeure, which is another great one. I know we are going to wind down in a moment. Get to Judd Hirsch. But see that one, too, which is, okay. a, I'll tell you about we'll it. Put that on our list. Yeah. And lastly, uh, Woman Talking. Oh, right. Women Talking, which I just described, which uh, is about, you know, this that group. Was oh, that's that was the last one. And it's, at, it's nearby if you guys, uh, you know. Well, I'm sure, well, it's nearby for you, Maddie, because you, you get down to the city every week. But uh, I don't, you know, if you're scared. They're all great. They're all worth seeing okay. so far. So there you go. That's the whole roundup. We will have to do a special Oscar show, obviously. I think, obviously. So, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Find somebody who will do that with me, you know? Yes. Yes. You know, I think that's a good idea. So anyway, um, let's go now to this great conversation I had with actor Judd Hirsch, taxi fame and many movies. This is the new one. is called I Mordecai. It's a small independent film, a comedy. Check it out. And it's um, opposite him is Carol Kane, who he oh, was a co-star on Taxi. And I yes. asked him about the, what it was to like to, to, to act again with her. Anyway, this is it. Judd Hirsch here on Film Wax. What is that? Looks like a big giant hole in the ground. Yeah, with my father in it. Hey, need any help? Ah, you don't know the tools. You don't know nothing. Well, how would I? The only time you let me come on a plumbing trip with you, you fired me after 10 minutes. Because you were incompetent. I was seven. This is my father, Mordecai. 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 And this is the story. Are you having trouble hearing from that thing? I had trouble hearing, period. Of how one small change. He knew I thought. <laughs> you see how people stare at that thing. I don't understand there's no buttons. Opened up his world. I'll teach you. I take lessons from my phone. In ways he never imagined. It's time you lived a little. <laughs> You're an 80-year-old man. Act like it. Now, if you ask me what street I was born out of the Bronx, I don't know. Okay. If you ask me what, what uh, street... Hirsch and Is it okay during the interview to have a picture of you? Like one of the pictures? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. You look fantastic. And you... Oh, no flashes, I promise. Yeah, later. You look fantastic, so... By the way, you look great. I mean, and, and in the film, too, like, uh, you look really fit. Can you? Uh, <laughs> you are? Yeah. Talking to, the, talking to the mic, though. We can start. Oh, we'll, just start. we'll just start. I mean, oh, unless. Sure, sure. No, we don't have I'm to have any. I'm saying uh, that when I, when I met Mordecai, the guy. Yes. Uh, the reason that we were doing it was, was really because it's him, it's his story. And uh, I said to his son who wrote it, um, and directed it. I said, uh, he said, do you want to meet him? I said, no. No, I'm not going to meet the guy I'm playing. He's, he's alive, right? He said, oh, yeah, he's alive. I said, I know. 
Don't. He said, I understand. The door opens, and he walks in. <laughs> I was sunk from yeah. there on oh. in. So you had and to meet I, him then. And, then. and then I loved him so much that I, 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 I wouldn't do anything without him. Are you, oh, that's Every nice story. He's there. He's the uh, consultant, the on-set professional consultant. I asked him if I did right. it well. I didn't care if he said no. But why did you not want to meet him? Why? Why? What? Well, just as an actor's point of view, you're right. We're not doing a. I'm not doing a documentary, uh-huh. uh, or even, it's not even a docu uh, m- movie. It's inspired by the man's life, and if you want to put yourself into the position of being able to inspire a movie because of that you can't think of only the man you have to think of why you're doing it mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. and the why is part of the acting you know you what ever, i'm saying yeah i do because i was, because yes. I was uh invited my by myself i mean i'm sorry uh, the reason i wanted to do the reason i took the job let's put it that way was because of that mm-hmm. because of the man because of his story, his real story, comic or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean, in other words, to me, nothing's comic. I mean, not about that. Uh, everything is comic otherwise. <laughs> right. I didn't want to really know about the comic side of it because that comes natural to me. But I wanted, to, I really wanted to know more about the suffering side, the part that makes someone who they are. Right. Which is what we all have. Right. And when I found out this backstory of this man going through what he went through and with joy... You know what I mean? Yeah. I could play that. My, my family came to the United States, Jews in Russia. They came here, you know, during an earlier pogrom, you know. But I was always wondering, those who did go through it, how did they and, uh, transition? Like, I'm watching Mordecai, your Mordecai, not that one, in this film, who is got this full life, lives in this, you know, kind of con- very modern retirement community, what yeah. have you, has, uh, is now introduced to technology, and he's embracing it uh, slowly, but he does. And, and I'm like, how do you go from the old country and those beginnings and then through Holocaust and then to, to Israel? Yeah, and then, right, and all these changes. I think I know the answer to that. He was a child. So the, so the, uh, the change came in a way naturally if you're a child and you have to go through all that stuff remember you don't know anything better you don't know anything right, different that's a good point. Yeah. you only know that you were taken out of where you were you didn't even know your mother very long I mean, his mother died when he was like seven so he didn't even know that and he didn't even know where he was and he didn't even know his i mean he wasn't with his father for years mm-hmm. and then had to start his life all over again as a child or as i should say as, i think it was a teenager when he came back so if it happened to me, and this is the reason I, this is the reason I'm, 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 I'm really talking is, is that if I played that part, or if I lived that life, yes. I would understand it more. Teenage, beginning to have to start life at that. And no, nothing was surprising to him. Mm-hmm. He became, it's almost natural. That's what I liked about this guy when I met him. Mm-hmm. I realized why he, he is the way he is, why he has this great, wonderful sense of humor and strong, very strong man. And what he was is a plumber. Who loved it? You know what I'm saying? Fixing things. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. and, and he got into the Israeli war. Right. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that story? Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's why I did it. Okay. I, and so you met him. Uh, has there been a case in all of the, I mean, I'm, I, well, I saw you on Broadway, by the way, uh, oh, yeah? in I'm Not Rappaport, the original, uh, your original. Uh, 
but uh, has, out of all the many, many, many roles you played over the years as, a, as an actor, uh, have you portrayed someone else that's also ba- – have you based the character on a real person? I'm sure the answer is yes because there's too many not to. Yes. But have you – I just did a movie. Uh, by Steven Spielberg. <clears throat> I'm not Fable familiar with him. The Fablemans. It's come, it's uh, it's out now. It'll be out now. Um, I wish I played another character that I was not anywhere near. And he was he is or was I'm sorry he was great uncle of Steven Spielberg. And so that's why <laughs> that's why I had to play it because he was real. I never met him. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I mean, man's not not been here, but it was. The man who influenced his life to become a director. Yes, and I've been reading about Spielberg. And it is and, yeah. Out of context. Coincidentally, okay. I'm reading a biography of, 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 of Spielberg right now, actually. Yeah. So I have to uh, hope that there will be, you know, as I continue reading it, yeah. I'll get to the part where you're in the Fablements. <laughs> so Way to, out of my I'm existence. Just, but finally, as old as I am. How close did Spielberg tell you how like that you captured the essence of this guy, or does it matter even? I mean, because I'm close. Um, I think Stephen had a way of um, um, kind of like um, being very um, knowledgeable about who he cast. In other words, yeah. <clears throat> in, in other words, his last, his first direction for me was do it up, do it the way you want. Mm-hmm. And uh, and never asked me anything else. He just trusted you once he cast you. You're, you're, yeah, you're, I must I must have hit the nail on the head. Right, <laughs> because I was I was wondering. I kept I kept thinking, is this him? Is this him? Is this him? Sure. Then finally, when it was all over, I said, "Is this him?" He said, "Judd, we never understood a word the man said." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, and so, uh, were, I guess once you met Mordecai, did you feel more, com- more or less compelled to try to capture his essence? Because you more. know you had an investment. You knew the guy more. you had affection for. More. Him. I yeah. knew what to leave out, but I did know what to put in. Um, because the inspirational part, by the way, is what, when Mordecai, when I stuck around with him, the inspirational part kept coming through. Uh, the man I'm, I'm sitting with, which is the man after, I'm, remember, he lived the whole life before he met me. Yep. And, and, and I would ask him, I really would ask him things because I really wanted to find out what it meant to him to be who he is now. And the most, the most wonderful part about it was, he, there was no way in which this man thought he was successful in anything except he became a painter, which I think is the highlight of the movie. Yeah. You know, yeah. the highlight of this guy's life, right. and my, and I know, I know because it's in the movie, uh, and in doing the part, I did that with the knowledge of this is a good part, this is a good part, this is a really good part yeah. <laughs> of and the movie. I would argue maybe that the highlight will be seeing you on the screen portraying him. Yeah, but okay, <laughs> that's that would be mine anyway. But no, um, it's a couple of paintings. <laughs> And working again with Carol Kane, can you just, I have to ask about that because well, to we, so many of my generation and, and Carol and, and I love each other, you know, because we were in taxi together. Of course. We have yeah. a tremendous, I don't know, it's almost like a link, you know, mm-hmm. arm, heart, everything is linked. Uh, we talk to each other almost every month. Is that right? Yeah. All of us. The whole taxi group That's gets amazing. together every month and talks to each other. That's we all, we all zoom. 
Really? Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Everyone who's left. <laughs> I, I feel compelled because, you know, this I've been working on this. And I'm going to probably botch it up, but I let me do my impression here. <clears throat> you know something, Alex? <laughs> That's, I had to. People would be very upset. Okay. Okay. Uh, on radio, they'll believe it. Worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay, so you uh, – I, I just make, had to make sure I hit all the marks and, and um, that, you know uh, – and, and we're here, by the way, at the Woodstock – Film festival, we should mention. Yeah, where we're showing uh, I Mordecai, a place where I actually about four hundred yards from here, yes. I started my entire career. At just the playhouse, if, where? you can see me on on radio. I'm pointing to a place just beyond this particular. The next building over is Get this Woodstock Playhouse. Right. My whole career started here in 1964. Here. 1964. No, first thing it did. Okay, what was the play? That more time. Oh. Wrap it up soon. Okay, sorry. Dude. The play. Was a thousand clowns. Of course, by Herb Gardner. Herb Gardner, great play. And then he became my best friend. I didn't know him, but we, but we, but I then did another play of his way after I did right. this. Which one? Uh, uh, let see. The first play I did of his, I'm that rapper Oh, that's it. Yeah. And I was there, so yeah. there it comes full circle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also want to mention, because I do a lot of interviews, Talia Balsam is a friend. Yes. And has been on this, and she played yes. your daughter in yes. the first episode of Tags. That's right. Just thought I'd throw that in, and I'm sure she's going to be thrilled to know I sat with you during this. Yeah. One more question about I, Mordecai, because after all, that is why we're, we're chatting, Judd. And, and by the way, thank you. Thank you very much for just it's a pleasure. Making it's a pleasure to be in. back in the hometown. Go ahead. Yeah, it's wonderful. Like that, you were the playhouse is such a fantastic spot. I only live an hour from here. Oh, you do? Yeah. Where do you? Oh, I you shouldn't say. I guess. <laughs> but you're living an hour. <laughs> um, me yeah. too. Uh, <laughs> By the um, way, this is called the Catskills, the, the mountains that we're in right now. Yes, right. All right. Which has been around for quite a while. I think so. And I have also been. In the Catskills for over fifty years, I've actually lived here. Yeah, it's a magic. I guy from the Bronx. Crazy. I lived in the Catskills. <laughs> I grew up in Queens, so there's a little. Me too. Did you in the Bronx and Queens? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, cheers to the boroughs. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Those connections are really interesting. I'll tell you why, because they led to the best thoughts. In my life, and the, and the best experience that I could possibly say caused me to become who I am. And because, I mean, you got to trace it. You really got to trace it if you want to take a look at your life. Trace where those, trace where the thing was that drove you to the place that you're in. Man, I got lucky. I got in a play up here in Woodstock in 1964 and played the lead in uh, Thousand Clowns, and then met the guy. <laughs> And then he became my best friend. And then wrote two plays that I was in. And I won two Tonys for doing the two plays that he wrote. Now, if that's not, I would know, say that that's probably almost too much uh, success or for, for it to be considered lucky. Yeah. You use the word lucky. I well, would I say know. that sometimes god, you make your own luck. The god of theater was looking down. Well, you know, you know who he is, don't you? The god of theater. Uh, yeah, well, I'm Moshe, not. whatever his name is. <laughs> uh, I'll start praying to him myself. But, yeah. Uh, uh, well, this has been a, a huge treat. Uh, I'm just trying to make sure I get all to all my points that I had written down and then quickly lost. Oh, I, I do have one more question about yeah. since we're I Mordecai is about uh, Mordecai who well into his. Um, I don't know, retirement years, if mm -hmm. you want to call it, discovers technology in his life. And I just wonder, where are you 
What, how does technology play into your life? Have you adapted yourself? As a I think he's ahead of me there. It's <laughs> <laughs> honest. No, I don't particularly love it. I know that I should be because I was an engineer. I'm not. I wasn't an actor. I, I have a degree in physics. So I was, I was, I was nowhere near this profession. Uh, although it was, it was, it was in my backbone. I didn't know it. Uh, but no, no, it's not what I studied. I did not want to be anything but an engineer and, a, and an architect. And I went to school and I graduated with an engineering degree. Well, a, a physics degree. I'm sorry. So that the whole thing, I was a very technical person, very much involved in math and science. I should have been very much involved in, te- in, in this particular industry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the technical right. Industry. If you had stayed I'm that. not. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. I'm not. It's well. beyond me. And also, it's the future of everything that nobody's going to understand anyway. Mm-hmm. It'll never be explained to the ordinary citizen. You don't know how your phone works. You won't know how your phone works. Right? Am I right? right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm an engineer. I should know how that phone works, but I don't. I, how, I, do, how do you think we can talk to the, the astronauts on Mars when they go, you won't understand that. You will not understand radio waves. You will not understand light waves. And you will not understand electric. And, and that's exactly where we stand. And it's the future of the world. The, the future is communication. The future is right. technology. The future is electronics. And uh, I can't give a crap about that. <laughs> well, well, because you're leaving out, I mean, it's none of it's really worth it if we don't have... Uh, uh, artistic expression. Um, they go, I think they have to go hand in hand because we can't live as human beings without both of these things. I'm so glad you said that. That is this, that is the basic statement to make about pretty much all mankind. Uh, mine is, because I'm a little bit further inside of it, there is nothing that doesn't have humor in it, which I think is the cause the only way to get through all of life, most of life, for me, and I think for everybody, or anybody who writes movies, anybody who writes plays, anybody who writes television, anybody who, 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 who produces or directs, there's got to be a piece of humor in it, because that's the only hope we have, that, that life's enjoyable. Well, I had a very enjoyable day today because <laughs> I got to sit with one of my acting heroes, Judd Hirsch, who I grew up watching Taxi, of course. I'm in that age group where that was a hu- had a huge impact. And then got to see him on Broadway and I'm on Rappaport. And then um, also was blown away after knowing you from Taxi as a young guy and then seeing you in Ordinary People and saying, holy crap, that guy can do it all. He can oh. do it all. And so... Thank you. Yeah, well, uh, so it's great to see you in something like I, Mordecai, too. And it gave me the opportunity to finally sit down with you and meet you. Well, I'm you. glad so you saw that, it. I'm yeah. glad you saw it. Okay. Yeah. So thank you very much. Uh, You're welcome. Keep it rolling. <laughs> 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 A few more... How much more time? Or, or end this? Okay, well, okay. Hey, may, oh, can you just say... Okay. Okay. I think we're good to go. I was just wanting to make sure I was reading. What? No, no, I think uh, this is a nice place to leave it. I mean, I'm just... Uh, yeah. It was a nice How much p- of this goes on air? Oh, I'll edit it down, and then I have a mm. podcast. We we're, we have a radio station across the river called WK. It's so funny. We're in a building right now Yeah. that when I was at the Woodstock Playhouse was the producer's wife's studio. She was an artist. Yeah. She painted in this studio. It's the first season that they actually had two theaters... That we went to because we started at the Woodstock Playhouse and then we went to Hyde Park. 
Right. So our show went from here to there and and shared the next the next show. Right. And this was, I believe, her studio. That's amazing. Yeah. It's just amazing, right? Yeah. You could trace that. I know. It's like I love the idea that Cucina opened this place, and I love the fact that it's all barn. I know. I, I, I'm telling you, I when I got up here, the only thing I could think of was getting a barn and living in it, and I did. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, just say, uh, let's just say, if, if you don't mind, just let's just say, uh, wrap it up. Although they started putting music on it, I don't know why. But, um, oh, that's okay. Thank you. If you can do the music low just for, just until we're done. We're done. Go ahead. Uh, just say, we'll wrap it up just so I have a, an actual ending for when I edit this together. So thank you. Thank you, Judd, for, if I can call you Judd. That you is, can. Thank you. I'm Adam. and I, I mean, if you spell it right. Two D's, I believe. Um, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I've been wanting to talk to you forever, so this is a real personal treat. Okay. Great. Right. Home ground. You know? Yeah. We're on home ground here in Woodstock. That's right. Thanks. All right. Okay. Great meeting you. Thank Bye. you. Is this your family? Yeah. It was 1939. It was the World War. We had to leave everything. Well, that's probably hard on Marvin, I know. I just wanted him to have better life than I had. Maybe you can tap into what was missing. I work on being a father to my son. What's for the ice cream? Makes you feel like a kid again. What? Now make you feel young? <laughs> ice cream make me feel young. I'm not ready to be old man. But you are old to me. This is first iPhone call. It's nice to be young. It's nice to be old. Nice to have fun but no buttons. It's nice to have family. What can I help you with? You are Siri? Yes, I'm Siri. Oh, Siri, that's a nice name. I keep this secret because my wife, she gets jealous. Well, recently I had on the documentary filmmaker Colin Askey on the show and his new documentary called Love in the Time of Fentanyl, uh, which I would say is a very timely subject, had its theatrical premiere at the uh, Firehouse Cinema in Lower Manhattan for a week. And now it is about to have its premiere on PBS's series Independent Lens. Let's see, it premieres February 13th. That's uh, coming up. As deaths in Vancouver, Canada reach an all-time high, the Overdose Prevention Society opens its doors. A renegade supervised drug consumption site that employs active and former drug users. Its staff and volunteers do whatever it takes to save lives and give hope to a marginalized community in this intimate documentary that looks beyond the stigma of people who use fentanyl and other drugs. Colin Askey is a filmmaker who focuses on issue-driven content for harm reduction, drug policy, anti-poverty, and social justice organizations. Recent work includes Haven, an award-winning short documentary set in Vancouver about North America's first prescription heroin therapy program, and now the feature documentary, Love in the Time of Fentanyl. Here's my conversation with the Canadian filmmaker, Colin Askey, here on FilmWax. Let's remember where we are. Our community has endured a crisis and so many of us chose to respond. We keep our community safe. We keep our loved ones alive. 
and in sharing our compassion and wisdom, we become world changers, each of us here. It's so sad. We can't handle any more people dying down here. The peers that are on the front lines, they are saving lives every day, all day, every day. And it's hard on them. I overdosed myself. I was lucky I was just a roommate too. I wouldn't be here right now. We're making the best of what we've got in the middle of a crisis situation where people are dying and we're losing our friends. Alright guys, if you're done your smash, time to dash. Move over to the chill, half an hour limit, shoot within it. Hi. How are you, Colin? Good, how are you? Good, good to meet you. You as well. How's it going? It's good, yeah. Um, you, uh, let's see, you're, we're in January, was, uh, you uh, did a number of, uh, Festivals with Love in the Time of Fentanyl. Uh, you most maybe one of the more recent ones was Stock NYC in November. Yeah, right. It's getting ready. It's going to have a broadcast. We can, but we're going to focus on the fact that your documentary is having its theatrical premiere. Okay. At uh, in New York City, starting I think this coming Friday, some um, at the Firehouse Cinema at DCTV. Yeah. Yeah, Which I, I still have not made it over to yet. I'm living a little north of the city these days. I, I'm dying to get over there. It's an amazing cinema. Old fire. Oh, house. yeah. Probably one of the oldest in Manhattan, I'm guessing. Yeah. I, I've been there many, 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 many times. But And I, you know, was in an earlier versions of the cinema before it became an official cinema. Was even at the, uh, what do they call the, um, the, the ground breaking breaking ceremony. Yeah. And uh, uh, so because I've just had a long, long relationship with that DCTV, so I'm just really anxious to get over there. And um, uh, I will say to those who are not aware maybe that that this cinema exists, this documentary cinema, go go see Love in the Time of Fentanyl and make it your first film to see there. It's, uh, it's supposed to be a great cinema. So, And you'll be there, I assume? Yeah, we're doing Q&As on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, really? Wow, that's great. So you're really going to be busy there. Well, these are, this is a subject which, you know, deserves the conversations and, uh, cause everybody's lives have been touched somehow by, you know, people that are suffering from addiction. Uh, uh this is uh, obviously a play on, on uh, the, the, the novel, the, the title I'm talking about, Love in the Time of Cholera. This is Love in the Time of Fentanyl. Another, I guess you could call it epidemic. I mean, or, it, was this avoidable, do you think? Or do you think like cities like Vancouver, where your f- film takes place, is, um, you know, one of many cities that probably affected by this problem? I think it's <clears throat> absolutely uh, avoidable. It's a very complicated issue. So it's, it's depends on where you're, where you're looking at it. But from like a policy sure. perspective and a prohibition perspective, I think, uh, an example would be Switzerland, who, you know, has gone with evidence-based harm reduction services for many years, which includes offering, you know, subscription or a prescription opioids. Mm. Uh, um, and it's called opioid-assisted therapy, where they provide, you know, free heroin to people suffering from chronic addiction. 
and uh uh you know what they have found is many many benefit, uh, benefits from from these programs including people not having to do crime or or at risk behaviors you know to obtain their their drugs and when they're not having to do the hustling to to look for them they they've been able to balance their lives out get you know educations family back relationships and 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 work at jobs obviously um and and you know people think when they hear you know about services like this that's crazy and and that's enabling and people are going to come from everywhere to start trying heroin and stuff when that's absolutely not the case you know the addiction amounts haven't increased because of these programs or anything like that but more importantly you know fentanyl doesn't have a market to enter there because the black market's very small because most people that are suffering from chronic addiction are able to get you know free free heroin so i think that's a, a real real example of you know how the war on drugs and criminalizing and this uh useless battle that's been going on for forever you know has just made things worse and worse and worse and we're at a point now where drugs become so toxic and deadly and uh you know the, the easier they are to to smuggle and the smaller things like fentanyl appear and so i definitely think it's avoidable if we uh, it was a priority. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's it seems um well, I mean, America is always very reactive and just not doesn't really get it. Um <clears throat> you know, and um it's more punitive more about punishing than it is about preventing. <clears throat> but uh, this is in Canada for Pete's sake, everybody. It's a, it's a, you know, socialized medicine all this. But uh, and so we're clear your film by the way is is um Kind of through the prism of a very personal on a personal level, because you actually get into, you know, we we watch specific individuals who are uh, work at this uh, uh, the OPS, which is the Overdose Prevention Society in this area of uh, Vancouver's downtown east side. Right. And we get to know these people pretty intimately. They are themselves either former or currently uh, current addicts. Right. And that work there. But the idea behind it is not to get people necessarily off it um, to to right to uh, get them unaddicted. It's it's really just to deal with it, creating a, a safe environment for them, because we know that freeing yourself from addiction is a long process, and it's um, this is sort of like a way of managing that period, right? Yeah, so so these sites are are basically just focused on on saving lives and and building relationships. Um, mm. They're not. It's a common misconception that you know people in harm reduction or providing these services are opposed to treatment, and that's definitely you know not the case. I've worked in these sites and mm-hmm. I've probably, Have you? yeah probably seen more referrals to detox and treatment that happen in these sites than mm-hmm. anywhere else. I've worked in you know absence based treatment and lots of different kind of areas of this issue. Uh, but yeah, the, the, these sites are there to, to save lives and they've been around for a long time in, in numerous different countries over 30 years. And there's never been an overdose death in any of these sites. That's a, that's a shocking, uh, yeah. detail, by the way, I was like, I can't, uh, that was amazing to me. Yeah. So that's... I think it, like, what they said that that says is it's people, you know, we, we want to focus on, addiction and and fentanyl and all these things but the, the reality is it's it's stigma in the way that we kind of exclude people from services that is killing people and when people are using alone you know they 
these sites are able to save lives because really people just need oxygen, you know, in some, some cases with fentanyl now it's naloxone is used quite a bit, Okay. but really if someone's there from the onset of an overdose, it's very manageable and, and, uh, people don't have to have to die. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I mean like, like to get to the root of this crisis is a long process, I think. And we have to look at lots of different things and how we operate, but, uh, bottom line that these sites are just there to, to save lives and keep people alive and, and, you know, build these relationships that, you know, these people that use these sites really aren't welcome anywhere. It's just society, uh, that, you know, especially in the U S where people have to hide because they're scared to be thrown in jail. Uh, yeah. no one really wants, you know, injection drug users around. So they're constantly trying to hide and use in really unsafe, uh, conditions, but also like when people feel welcome and feel safe and not judged, the, the level of trust that's built in these sites really leads to a lot of different, you know, options for people. And sometimes that means detox. Sometimes that means housing. Sometimes that means like healthcare and, and meeting a nurse and, and accessing all these different services that people haven't been able to access. Um, is it, I mean, I, I, in my word, just salad or before I, I mentioned that, you know, uh, I'm used to America making the wrong having the wrong priorities almost in every single case. It's just, even though we're number one, apparently. But I kind of joke that Canada, on the other hand, you know, full of, uh, you know, the typical cliche, nice people. But is is this idea of, of, of almost like not contributing to getting people off the drug as a priority, is that a bridge too far for most Canadians? Like uh, maybe uh, like that they just – don't see this as should be included in socialized medicine. Yeah, that, that, you know, like I think people in the U.S. assume that, oh, it's Canada and progressive country. They just welcome these kinds of ideas. But the, the first, uh, injection site in North America was in Vancouver's downtown east side and it was uh-huh. extremely controversial. The, right. the government of Canada actually tried to shut it down, the conservative yep. government at the time, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. But, you know, there's, tons of evidence on these sites so so at the supreme court you know the insight the the name of the site there said okay we're reducing drug use on the streets we're reducing syringe litter on the streets we're saving lives we're you know referring people to treatment and detox and the government was like well we just don't like it you know so it's i think that's the the big issue for people is that they hear about this and they it you know, triggers and they're morally opposed and, uh, they're not comfortable with it. But, you know, the evidence shows that there's really no negative side to this, really. Right. But, I mean, and people it, just go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Colin. Well, it's just, you know, like Canada and like we, we are having these conversations now in the U.S. It took a long time for people to wrap their heads around it and it was mm. extremely controversial, but you know, it, it takes time for people to start to see how it works. And, and, uh, it really paid off, you know, on top of everything else, it's saving taxpayers money, you know? So like all those overdoses that were happening on the streets, you have ambulances, you have police, you have emergency services. Um, the first two sites in the U S opened up here in New York and, and in, in the first year alone, they estimated over $20 million was saved in emergency services costs. So well, there you go. Been, now you're talking American English. Yeah, exactly. So if people are like, wow, that's, you know, we don't care about the human aspect of it. There's the cost savings alone is, is like mind boggling. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was just going to say that I think please. that the issue, that one of the main things with this issue, and that's what I hope to do with the film is just like, we need to, people need to get educated. People need to be aware. They need to, there's a lot of deeply entrenched beliefs 
about people who use drugs and about this issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of wanted to push people past, past their comfort zones and, and show, you know, not only how these sites work, but the amazing humans that just because they use drugs, they're also right. saving lives and they also have value. And uh, our comfort level as a society is what's holding these services back and what's holding life-saving services back, really. So I think the more that we can get educated, more people become aware, okay, this is actually what this is. It's not, you know, what we have in our heads. The more I think, like, governments can uh, support it because they know they have the the votes. <laughs> yeah. Well, what it's interesting for somebody like me, the shocking Part of your film, which again is, by the way, called Love in the Time of Fentanyl, which is opening theatrically in New York City at the Firehouse Cinema this Friday, which is the 5th, no, 3rd of February, excuse me. It wasn't watching somebody who is like actually one of the uh, people running the clinic uh, or the center shooting us, shooting up or what have you. It's actually the how humanized these people are and that they're heroes. I mean, you know, too, they're just, you can't put people into no matter how extreme their conditions and situation is, you can't put people in, just simplify them. And, 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 you know, that these people are very, they're, they are in themselves like first responders. They're racing to, to on the streets to get to somebody who is passed out to, in order to save lives. They get there before the ambulances in a lot of cases and start the, the process of reviving them, correct? As you said, with oxygen, there's yeah. probably not a lot they can do legally, probably, but I don't know. I mean, yeah. I guess it can never be illegal to try to save somebody's life, can it? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely not illegal. And uh, <laughs> I think it, it, the thing is, naloxone is is becoming you know more and more accessible in, in the states. But for a long time, you know that that was really hard to to get a hold of. But it's been around. Just like in Canada, you know, it's like I said, these sites have been open for a while, or the first one was. Uh, it it took a while for these because of the crisis, basically, is when these services became spread across the country. But that was my main, you know, reason for wanting to make this film is, like you said, that, you know, I was watching the media at the time that was covering the issue, and and the downtown east side is really, you know, known globally as kind of ground zero of this crisis because it's it's a a community with a large percentage or, or a high concentration of injection drug users. And so it's where fentanyl kind of hit, hit first and really took over the drug supply first. And so people were dying really, really rapidly at a, yeah. we were hearing almost like getting calls weekly of people we've known and, and loved from that neighborhood. But at the oh. media at the time was, was covering kind of how hard this was on the paramedics <clears throat> and, you know, not to take anything away from the paramedics, they've been doing amazing, but uh, no one was focusing on the community themselves that were the ones that were saying enough's enough. We're going to teach ourselves how to use naloxone and set up these kind of tents where people can come and, and use in front of us so we can save lives. And, you know, at the time, the government, no one really knew what to do. This was such a hitting so hard and so fast. And it was the community themselves that really kind of led the way in the response to the crisis there. And that wasn't being shed a light on. And that's really kind of why I was like, I really want to, capture this because many of the people in the film are my friends you know i worked in the community for many years and knew how hard it was on them um how's um dana oh dana is 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 one of the guys that runs the clinic or yeah he's a counselor supervisor there supervisor and he himself is a user right yep which you know uh, again you 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 
this could be anybody. It could be your your pal, your cousin, your father. I mean, you know, that's that's why your film is so important because everybody yeah. will you everybody, no matter how far foreign this 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 issue seems to people, when you watch a film like Love and the Time of Fentanyl, you you can relate to the people, you know, and also Ronnie, um, he's the guy that had to take some time right at the, by the like he was uh he's burnt, burnt out so the toll isn't probably only only physical in terms of the amount of hours and the amount of running around and work and the intense nature of it it's uh is is also there's obviously a, a, a an emotional few um, emotional you know burnout that happens and um uh so i i, I really got to like these these folks and sarah who Founded it, this center. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love the idea, the, the 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 focus being on community because uh, there's you can't really emphasize enough that community is uh, so crucial to people's you know survival. Absolutely, yeah. That's what it it really is about Comes for out. me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you see it certainly in in your your documentary now. The big question on everybody's mind is how did you get Sean Baker as your executive producer? How did that come about? Yeah. So, um, great filmmaker, Sean Baker. Yeah. I was, so I have worked in the community for many years and, and was friends with a lot of the folks in the film and, and, and had been a longtime friend of Sarah, who's the founder of the site. <clears throat> and, uh, I was kind of back and forth there. Uh, shooting and uh-huh. one day Sarah called me and said, Hey, Sean Baker's here and wants to meet you. And I was like, I was like, I remember I was like changing a tire and, and was like way out of town or not way out of town, but like fairly far. No, I'm not close right? to this, not close yeah. to. Yeah. And I was like, he's, he's, and she was like, Are you around? And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. And so I was just <laughs> exploring it to the site, but yeah, he was, he was doing kind of research about a film he wanted to do. It's pretty personal for Sean as well, uh, the subject, and has been, I think, working on it a while. It hasn't been filmed yet, but uh, I, I think he's still planning on it. And uh, so, he, and he was volunteering, you know, at, at Ops, uh, I think, every week there when I was there. And uh, um, so I, that's how I met him. And then after I had kind of a rough cut, I sent it to him, and he's been very supportive ever since and really, yeah, just lucked out, I guess. <laughs> right place, right time. That's great. Um, and I, I hope you get a lot more, uh, you know, people on board. Uh, I think, uh, people will see it. They'll, they'll become your, the more people to see it, the more ambassadors you'll have out there for, for the documentary, no, no doubt. And if you, again, if you haven't been down to DCTV in lower Manhattan, I do want to recommend people go check out your documentary there. It's to see it in a cinema and, and you'll be there again on throughout the weekend doing Q and A's. I guess people go to the TC DCTVNY.org to uh, get the details of those screenings and the times or, or when you're not there too, if they just can't make it. <laughs> and what is your, what are the guys in the film? How did they feel like they, they, they came out and the film came out? Yeah, great. It's been, it's been amazing to hear about all the screenings and, and, uh, festivals in Canada. Sadly, you know, uh, drugs are criminalized. So it's a tough time getting them to the, the U.S. for a lot of people that were in the film, but they, we've been able to get them to a lot of the kind of festivals and the different screenings in Canada. And, you know, they've been getting oh, right. 
standing ovations and, and it's something I think uh, we, we're all really proud of from right. that community and uh, it's been an honor to, to introduce them to the world. This could be a very healing process because not only do people respond positively to the film when they see it, but also, you know, they're they're sending love to these guys, right? And um, it's just kind of must feel very very cathartic for them. Uh, I'm just guessing. Yeah, I think I think I think the biggest thing is just feeling acknowledged. A lot of this work, mm-hmm. like I talked sure. about, is controversial, and and not many people understand what is happening and how not only hard it is, but just the, also the beauty, like the film isn't just a, a dark film. I really wanted to capture the, the laughter and the, you know, the humor and, and the humanity of, of the magic that happens in these sites. And so I think people are, are just proud that, that, that all these things that, you know, are normally not portrayed in the media. There's, there's little slivers of it in this film and, and capturing what it's really like. I appreciate your making the time coming on here and um, I wish you much success with it. Yeah. It was a pleasure meeting you. Um, Thanks for having me on and supporting the film. Yeah. It means a lot. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. Again, it's, it's called love in the time of fentanyl. It's directed by Colin Askey. Yep. You get that right. Go see this film. Go see it. Recommending it. Go see it. Uh, thanks again, and and we'll hopefully do, have another opportunity to do this again sometime. Amazing, thanks, Adam. Yeah. All right, you're welcome. Thank you, Colin. Take care. Thanks everybody for tuning in to another episode of Film Wax. I just want to thank my guests on this episode number 750, both the great Judd Hirsch as well as the filmmaker Colin Askey, and I also want to thank producer Maddie Rosenberg here at Radio Free Ryancliffe, as well as associate producer Jennifer Hamoud. And next week, our guest is Mayor Blaustein, the co-founder and executive director of the Woodstock Film Festival and so much more here in the Hudson Valley. So don't miss that episode next Friday, uh, live here at 6 o'clock at Radio Free Rhinecliff and then out in the po- podcast apps. All right. Take care of yourself and the ones you love. Until next time. <laughs>